capture the adrenaline that's shooting off in the electricity, he captures it right there on paper. Ladies and gentlemen, Al Hirschfeld. Well, I've drawn ever since I could hold a pencil. Actually, all kids draw. I just never stopped. Catherine, will you do the honor of uh, starting? I will, David. <laughs> Welcome to the Hirschfeld Century Podcast. I am Catherine Eastman, the archives manager of the Al Hirschfeld Foundation. And I'm David Leopold, the creative director. Woohoo! Yes, indeed. That and 275 gets you on the subway. It's true. Is it 275 now? Yes, it is. Okay, I don't know. Uh, today we're talking about jazz. All jazz. All things jazz. All, All that, that jazz. jazz. I totally blew that. All right. Um, where, where should we start, David? You're the jazz expert here. I'm a... I don't know anything about jazz. It's all jazz to me. It's all jazz to you. Yeah. Well, let's start with singers because those are personalities. And while they, um, jazz singers aren't generally as demonstrative as the sort of overactive thyroid cases that Hirschfeld right. like to draw in the theater, um, they still have this wonderful personality. So the uh, the sort of a sublime majesty of Lena Horne uh, or the pathos of Ethel Waters or the laid back sophistication of Fred Astaire. They were all really great subjects and really ripe for Hirschfeld's pen. Mm. Um, his challenge was to find the gestures and the expressions that exposed their character, much like the singers finding their voice in the songs. Right. Now, since we're talking about singers, I feel like we should first talk about um, his record collection. Although most of the records, believe it or not, are not of singers. Singers. Oh, okay. Well, then let's not talk about that. Let's leave it for musicians, David. Well, he was a great. He was a great <laughs> jazz fan. He had a yeah. really remarkable jazz record collection, mostly from the twenties and thirties. Seventy eights. He had an extensive collection of seventy eights that he would play for his entire life, uh, and uh, he built cabinets in his home to store these seventy mm. eights. Uh, uh, um, so. He loved hot jazz, um, had uh, helped uh, Django Reinhardt, uh, he told me one time, he helped Django Reinhardt get his first recording date in Paris. Uh, so he met S.J. Perlman in a Benny Goodman rehearsal in 1932. Uh, you know, he spent late nights with uh, Eugene O'Neill on 52nd Street listening to Errol Garner. So jazz was a big part of Hirschfeld's life. Right, right. Um, but as for singers... He drew just about every, well, not every significant singer, but many. Uh, Billie Holiday, Lena Horne, Bing Crosby, Nat King Cole, uh, Margaret Whiting, Rosemary Clooney, Tony Bennett, uh, Louis Armstrong, uh, Anita Ellis. In fact, he had a wonderful poster of Anita Ellis, this uh, jazz singer, mm -hmm. uh, behind his barber chair for, right. for decades. We still have it. Yeah, we, of course we still have it. <laughs> we are the archive, yes. so we have it. Um, but Josh White, Dee Dee Bridgewater, a much more contemporary uh, jazz singer, um, he did an incredible drawing of her when she was in a show called the 1940s Radio Hour. Right. Um, just a really tremendous drawing. But, you know, Ethel Waters, he'd been drawing since 28. Right. He does, I mean... It was 27. 27. 27, yeah. Uh, it's a great uh, portrait of her. 
uh, done in a very Cubist style, very right. modern. And it's it's a, it's an incredible drawing. Yeah, it's a, a, an incredible drawing that yeah. only Hirschfeld could do in yeah. some ways. And it's at a time when he is not as committed to character. He's really committed to design at this point. Uh, you know, he's a painter who's doing these drawings as a way to pay the room rent. Um, and so this uh, Cubist study of... Uh, of Ethel Waters when she was in her first Broadway show called Africana uh, was um, sort of a nod and wink, not only about Ethel Waters, but about Cubism in general, which was still a relatively new thing. Yeah. And I, I will correct myself. It is 1928. You're correct. I, I thought so. But... <laughs> I was thinking of one of my other favorite drawings, Rang Tang, which oh. is also done in this great modern uh, Cubist tradition, right. and that is 1927. So I was confused. I always thought for some reason that they were done like um, one week after the other. <laughs> I guess in my head, but we don't have an exact date for the Ethel Waters drawing. Uh, fortunately, here at the Al Hirschfeld Foundation, we do not rely on Catherine's <laughs> memory. We have an extensive database that yes. uh, provides this information. That I am in charge of. <laughs> right. <laughs> But good news, anybody can access it's on our website. Yes. You can look mm -hmm. up anything at alhirschfeldfoundation.org. Right. Um, but, you know, singers were, uh, you know, he could do, uh, of course, Frank Sinatra uh, is another one that uh, right. was a great, uh, um, he did a wonderful portrait of Sinatra for Seventeen magazine. Right. Um, and for every issue of the first two years of Seventeen. He had drawings in the magazine, and mostly they were of jazz figures. Exclusively of mm. jazz figures. Right. Harry James was the first one. Um, he would do uh, Louis Prima, mm -hmm. uh, Duke Ellington. Uh, Nat King Cole Trio. Nat King Cole Trio. He did a terrific one of Lionel Hampton. Yeah. Uh, Benny Goodman, Artie Shaw. George Glenn Gershwin. Miller, George Gershwin. Yeah. I mean, there are these, and he loved them so much that he hung five or six of them. Uh, he had them framed for decades on his wall in the right. library of his home. Um, and they were important to him. Mm. You know. uh, so speaking of singers, though, November 21st, 1934. Do you know where Al Hirschfeld was? Because I, I do. I do know. This he, is one date I do know. <laughs> He was uh, sitting in the audience of the Apollo Theater on Amateur Night. He was sitting next to his date, who was mm. the musical comedy actress uh, Paul Lawrence. And they were there to see the show, which featured a young woman who was making her debut uh, at the Apollo. Mm -hmm. Ella Fitzgerald. You know her, uh, <laughs> one of the great ladies of song. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Hirschfeld would not draw her at that time. In fact, he wouldn't draw her for about another 50 years. Mm. Uh, I think 1983 is his first drawing of, of Ella Fitzgerald. Wow. That's uh, for uh, American popular singers. Yeah. Great singers. Smithsonian Institution does a, a, a big exhibition on American popular song, and they commission Hirschfeld to do two drawings, one of the great singers and one of the great songwriters. Right. Uh, and so around a piano, you have Ella Fitzgerald, Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire, Nat King Cole, Judy Garland, Lena Horne, Tony Bennett. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. Elvis isn't in there. I just realized. He's not a jazz singer. Well, it's just called uh, Great Singers. 
American popular song. It's it's not oh. just jazz, but it's it's the one who really sang from the American popular song songbook. You know, which would be Gershwin, Cole Porter. All uh, right, fine. Duke We're not going to get into an Elvis debate today. I'll save that for a different day. <laughs> We're always putting off that Elvis debate, thank goodness. Yeah, because you don't want to be in the same room as me. <laughs> Let's just say I'm at a disadvantage on yeah, the Elvis the discussions. Elvis. On what's my line in Elvis, you don't stand a chance. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh, I wish he would have drawn Ella Fitzgerald that night at the Apollo. Oh, yeah. That would have been great. Well, he didn't bring a sketchbook every place he went. Right, I mean, right. he went out every night or had people in. I mean, this is just who he was. Mm -hmm. And this was just a night in, uh, he didn't remember the date. It wasn't like he went around and right, said November right. 21st, 1934. Right. I remember that date. But in talking about Ella Fitzgerald, he might say, oh, I saw her debut at the Apollo. Right, right. I remember being up there. She was great. And, you know, she was great. Mm -hmm. And she was great her entire career. In fact, in 1993, Hirschfeld does the quintessential portrait of Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah. Uh, it, it sort of defines her in a series of just simple lines that is as great as anything he's ever done. Oh, it's a, it's a wonderful drawing. Yeah, a wonderful drawing that was later published as a limited edition lithograph. Right. Um, but it is truly a great work. I believe that original drawing is in the collection of Harvard University. Right, you're right. You are correct. Um, but And then in the... Uh, he drew Rosemary Clooney, again, Lena Horne, uh, uh, some of the other singers um, late in his career for a series of record covers for BMG. Right. 78. <laughs> 78 means it revolved 78 times in a minute. Yes, on the turntable. Right, right. It's the speed in which it's going. It's 78 okay. revolutions per minute. Uh, now, is, is this, but the, are these normal, like what I would assume... 33s are? So uh, uh, an LP right. uh, is uh, almost all of those are done at 33 and a half revolutions right. per second. But is that the same size as what a 78 They are close to the same size. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm sure any of the 78 collectors out there could correct me. Right, right, they're right. They're just slightly smaller. Okay. But they're much heavier. They're right, much heavier right. uh, disc. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they were played on Victrolas and mm -hmm. early record players. Uh, we don't use them today. Um, but so Hirschfeld had this incredible collection for an individual. And these were not, this is long before he got uh, record company swag. <laughs> you know, these were not the record right. companies giving him records. These were ones that he purchased uh, himself. Mm. Uh, and when. Um, when, when eventually the Hirschfeld home was closed down in 2011, when it was sold, uh, we had this entire record collection and we didn't know what to do with it. So we called the Library of Congress and they sent up a wonderful guy who we said, well, what do you want? And he went through the record collection. And he said, this is incredible uh, that, an, that one person would have all these. This is a serious collector. Mm -hmm. And we said, well, how many of them do you want? They said, well, we, we already have all these. <laughs> uh, and... I thought, well, there must be valuable. And I said, what's the value of these? He said, oh, 10 years ago, you could have, mm. uh, they were worth something like $10 a piece. Mm. He said, now you'd be lucky if you could get them for, you could sell them for a dollar. Wow. Um, the, mar the bottom had <laughs> dropped out of the 78 market. Mm. Now, maybe it's, maybe the 78 market's experiencing a renaissance. Uh, we're open to offers for Irish <laughs> <laughs> But you have to take all of them. <laughs> yes. You have to take all of them. They, the Library of Congress did take some radio transcriptions that mm. uh, Hirschfeld ha had that people obviously had brought over 
over to play for him. Right. Um, but for the record collection, they were just amazed at the yeah. scope and the quality. And Hirschfeld uh, was was really loved this collection so much. He actually came up with a catalog system right. for it. It's this adorable little binder that you can take the sheets out of and you know rearrange them if you have to. But they were all alphabetical, and so he had a page for every artist so, so duke ellington right and it would list all the different duke ellington and you can tell some of it's done in different pens so he would add yes as soon as he would get a new one he would write in this little book his new duke ellington record and it's and it's he would really put cute. a catalog number actually on the 78 and Amazing. so he could find it you know he had them all categorized this way An archivist dream <laughs> which is so funny to me because when i started working uh with him uh organizing the archives he would routinely say to people when they asked him, a, uh, they would ask him some specific date question or whatnot. He would say, oh, I have an archivist now and he's put everything in order and I can't find anything. <laughs> well, you said when you first came in, uh, for example, like the magazines, uh, he told you they were all in order. Um, that was the New Yorkers. He oh, had okay, a, okay. He okay. had all these old magazines that I, they all had Hirschfeld drawings in them. Right. But there was a shelf just of New Yorkers. And I remember one time... Well, I now was, Hirschfeld wasn't in The New Yorker. Uh, no, he'd been banned from right. New Yorker in uh, 37. Okay. After uh, taking a photo of Harold uh, Ross and in a few strokes of his pen turned him, to, turned him into Joseph Stalin. Looks just like him. Uncanny <laughs> is really what it is. Okay, well, sorry. And, and Ross was so offended that he, he, he banned, banned Hirschfeld from The New Yorker. And Hirschfeld didn't appear... His drawings didn't appear in The New Yorker until 1993. Wow. Okay, but he had all these New Yorker magazines for whatever reason. Yeah, and uh, so I remember uh, we were just we had just been called down for lunch, and I I turned to him and I said, "Listen, after lunch, I'm going to get all the New Yorkers in order," uh, because I had gone through the piles and I couldn't discern any right. order. It was like 1942 and then 1954 and 1936, and Hirschfeld says, "Oh no, no, they're all in order already." <laughs> And I was just like, what are you talking about? There's no order here. And he said, oh, no, I have them by month. All the January <laughs> issues are together and all the February issues are together. That's not how you do it. No, <laughs> no thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, but try telling that to Al Hirschfeld. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't make any sweet. sense to him. <laughs> we ended up donating all those New Yorkers to the New Yorker. Mm. They were thrilled that someone had these old issues. Oh wow. And they some of which some of them they did not have themselves. Oh wow. Uh so uh yeah they were delighted to get them. That's and sweet. we were delighted to get them out of there. Yeah. All right, back to musicians. Back to musicians. You know, well Hirschfeld was like a jazz musician. He you know, the just like a jazz museum sees the notes on the page and then he improvises and makes it their own makes it his own. Right. <clears throat> Impromptu in the moment. Right, spontaneous. Right. That's what Hirschfeld was doing. Everybody's got their features, their eyes, their noses, their mouths. and But that's that was just the start for Hirschfeld. Mm -hmm. He wasn't trying for a photographic likeness. He was improvising with it. He was doing something spontaneous that captured the essence. I think very much like a, a jazz musician does in a solo. Mm -hmm. Certainly, I think there's a sort of rhythm to his drawings um, that perhaps uh, was something that he thought about. I'm not sure. Um, he was, uh, he could play a pretty good set of drums. Uh, drums were big in his life. Right. 
his end tables in his living room were were these big African drums. Um, and he had this giant, what, seven-foot-tall drum? Oh, yeah, seven-foot-tall uh, Haiti uh, that Alexander King had left uh, on his doorstep one day, rang the bell and ran away <laughs> early in the morning, which was probably like 8 o'clock in the morning for Hirschfeld. Right. And uh, Hirschfeld ran down and you know opens the door, and there's this seven-foot-tall drum covered in banana leaves uh, and with no note. <laughs> and Hirschfeld has to drag it into his house and uncover totally it. Crazy. And it, that's the kind of... Uh, Hirschfeld was a prankster. His friends were pranksters. Right. Uh, you know, it, totally typical. Yeah. Well, he that, loved it because he kept it. Oh, he loved he... <laughs> it. It was, and, and it's a great drum. I mean, it's yeah. a really great drum. But he drew uh, Sonny Rollins, uh, Harry James, Louis Prima, Gene Krupa, uh, Teddy Wilson, Maureen McFartland, uh, Oscar Levant, uh, Toots Thielmans, uh, Bobby Short, Donald Byrd. Donald Byrd did an album called Caricatures. Oh, interesting. And of course, some smart art director says, right. oh, we got to get Hirschfeld for this. Perfect. Uh, Earl Hines, Count Basie, David Murray, uh, Wyndham Marsalis, who came up to came to Hirschfeld studio to pose for a portrait for Hirschfeld. And uh, he's, uh, Hirschfeld's studio was on the fourth floor of his house. Right. And you came in on the first floor. And as he, as Wyndham Marsalis was walking up the steps, he had brought his horn and he starts to play it as he walks up the steps. <laughs> so that's all Hirschfeld hears at first is the, is the trumpet playing. And it just gets louder and louder until it came into his studio, which totally lit up Hirschfeld. Oh, that was I just bet. so great. Uh, but Paul Whiteman, he, he drew Paul Whiteman, uh, Paul Desmond, Coleman Hawkins, uh, Johnny Hodges, Jerry Mulligan, uh, Tommy Dorsey. I mean, he really drew so, so many uh, musicians. And, you know, so musicians like Benny Goodman, when he did this drawing of Benny Goodman for um, Seventeen Magazine, he showed Benny Goodman with about six different hands playing the clarinet. Right. Uh, Goodman loved that image. Mm. And when he did a black and white version some years later, Goodman asked to use it as uh, for promotion. He ended up sort mm. of using it as a logo. Uh, that happens a lot with Hirschfeld drawings. Yes. Is the, the people want to use it as a logo. Yeah, Lucille yep. Ball used her drawing as a logo right. for many years on her show. Whoopi. Uh, Whoopi, of course, uh, used her drawing. Yeah, but so many people. Yeah. Uh, oh, it, yeah. it was great. And again, jazz musicians, Quincy Jones who was a great friend of Hirschfeld's, uh, totally got that Hirschfeld knew how to swing. Mm. You know, he knew how to, he could, he could hold his own in jazz musicians because, you know, in, in his own way with ink, that was his, that was his instrument. Right. Um, and, and so he drew so many people. The 17 magazine drawings are truly incredible. Yeah. Um, and as I said, Hirschfeld really loved those. Um, but he he was doing it, uh, uh, you know, whenever he could. He uh, and he and he went out. I mean, when he wasn't going to theater or seeing a film or going to a dinner party, he would go to a, a, a more often a jazz concert than anything else. He wasn't a classical musical a music person. Mm-hmm. Um, Jazz, cabaret, those right. were things that really when lit he liked him up. to he liked to hang out in Harlem too. Oh yeah, he he moved to Ninety Fifth Street in part because it was close to Harlem. Right. Um, he got his driver's license uh, renewed in Harlem because yeah, the line was a lot shorter. Yeah, which is well, very smart. I don't know if that's true still today. Probably not. But well, I remember going up to the studio one time and he says, "Oh, I won't be there. I've got to uh, go get my license renewed." And anybody in New York knows going down to. Uh, <laughs> 
get your license renewed. Or anywhere, really. It's like an all-day affair. Yeah. And uh, Hirschfeld tells me he's going to be back by lunchtime. (laughs) And, you know, I respect my elders. Uh, I respected Hirschfeld as an individual and as an artist. But I thought, he does not know what he's talking about. (laughs) But sure enough, he was... He was back at the lunchtime, and I said, how did you do that? And he said, oh, I drove up to Harlem. He says, and it was great. I got a parking spot out front. He had a big Cadillac, and he parked right out in front of Harlem, walked right in, got his stuff done, uh, and, and came back out. And this is before Harlem was uh, gentrified. It was right, uh, right. This was like the early 90s. And uh, <laughs> I, the idea of Hirschfeld uh, going up there at that time was just, it was funny and yeah. totally in keeping with who he was. Right, right. Um, and that, you know, and speaking of Harlem, right. he did, uh, well, he did more dancers, but uh, his Harlem is seen by Hirschfeld in 1941 is a great view of what Hirschfeld thought was interesting in Harlem. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and that book was published December 7th, 1941. Yes, uh, I'm all da- about dates this episode. Yeah, really. Um, but that was that's the unfortunate part of that story is that it was published w- on the Pearl Harbor bombing. Yeah, that was a date that Hirschfeld would remember. Yeah, and uh, yeah, nobody was interested in a book of Harlem. It was an art book. Months. It was um, an art book. It was right. an oversized art book with 24 color lithographs tipped in to the pages. Um, nine by twelve uh, uh, lithographs on a book that was probably sixteen by twenty right. inches yeah, uh, big. It had a forward by William Saroyan with black and white line drawings uh, mm-hmm. by Hirschfeld of uh, scenes from Harlem, uh, and the twenty of the prints were of Harlem and four were of Bali. Right. Hirschfeld was inordinately proud of this accomplishment, and its complete and utter failure was one of those things that. Uh, I think convinced him to sort of stay in uh, the performing arts mm, after mm-hmm. that. Um, he doesn't really venture outside. He stays in his lane, as they yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because um, it was a disaster. It yeah. was uh, because not only were d- did nobody buy the book, the books were stored in a warehouse. They were a limited edition book. There were only a thousand copies, and they were stored in a warehouse that had a leak, <laughs> and so a good portion of the uh, the the print run was destroyed. Or you can find them now that they'll have water stains on them and whatnot. Right, right. And although you could not sell them for $15 in 1941. You couldn't give them away, probably. No, you couldn't give them away. <laughs> Today, of course, they go for five, $6,000 if valuable. they're in good condition right. with all the prints and the bindings intact. Yeah. Uh, th- those, they're really remarkable books. And, and a lot of the different scenes are dancers. So you mm-hmm. have the Apollo Corrine, you have Stomping at the Savoy, you have the Lindy Hop. And, you know, for Hirschfeld, he said, uh, his quote was, in drawing black performers, I rarely make their faces black. I think it's because I feel a person's blackness comes from someplace near their solar plexus. <laughs> you know, and for Hirschfeld, uh, you know, movement is the key component. And uh, his drawings of dancers, particularly in, in works by Jack Cole and Bob Fosse and Catherine Dunham, right. transform a two-dimensional space into really a kinetic delineation of a lively art. You know, Hirschfeld trips the line fantastic. Uh, you know, as the dancers' rhythms are sort of indelibly inched, uh, etched uh, in ink. Um, and his his scenes of these dancers in Harlem are uh, really capture the atmosphere as well as the essence of their movements. 
And, you know, so he had been drawing uh, dancers, uh, sort of jazz dancers, like uh, Bojangles. Uh, there's, you know, in, in Harlem, there's Lindy Hop, there's Boogie Woogie, there's Stomping at the Savoy, Scuffling, Scuffling in, in mm-hmm. Slow Blues. Those are all dance pieces. Um, but Debbie Allen and Hinton Battle uh, and uh, Vernal uh, Bagnerius, who does this great drawing in this show. Gwen Verdon, you know, who was uh, Bob Fosse's wife and, right. and partner. Um, Catherine Dunham. Catherine Dunham. Uh, she, Hirschfeld actually includes that seven-foot drum oh, the in seven a promotional foot, yeah. drawing for her, and she takes it on the road with her. Yeah, she so loves the the, the, fly, the image he does for a poster uh, announcing her concerts that she asked to take the drum on the road, and she uses it in a dance piece that's called Shango, and uh, and it's we don't have any pictures of it, but indeed it went out on the road, and uh, you know it was that it was insane, and of course that for Hirschfeld meant it was a great thing. Right, and it made it back. It made it back. Oh, to oh it, it, it made it back, <laughs> and he was very happy. Um, there are these wonder. Uh, Jack Cole uh, commissioned Hirschfeld to do drawings in 1942 uh, uh, to promote uh, a tour of his. Um, and there's a great one. Uh, you know, I, this is the only time you're going to see this title in, in Hirschfeld's work: <laughs> Marijuana Frenzy in Harlem at four o'clock in the morning. That's not true. In Harlem, there's a reefer man. That's true. <laughs> this is the only two times. The only two times. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it, you know, it's so capturing the scene and, and he still, th- he, this is still a big part of it in 1970. He publishes a suite of uh, lithographs called rhythm. Right. That, and this was his return to printmaking. Yes. He hadn't, he hadn't done after the, after uh, the fiasco of, uh, Harlem, right. where he did these, uh, multi-lith, uh, liths, uh, actually working with Don Freeman. Uh, at the Brooklyn Home for the Blind, they used this multi-lith press. Um, Hirschfeld doesn't do another print for almost 30 years. Wow. And George Goodstadt, uh, at then the Bank Street Atelier, invites Hirschfeld. He had been inviting well-known artists to come in and use the presses and the printmakers. And he invites Hirschfeld to come in, and Hirschfeld decides to do a series of uh, 10 lithographs. These are large lithographs. They're yes. like 25 by 30. Um and there are these scenes of dancers, not of personalities, right. but just of dancers. And one of them, and a lot of the dancers are black. Right. You know, and they're doing jazz moves, mm-hmm. you know, like the Charleston. Charleston. Yeah. Or, That's or my favorite one. I wouldn't necessarily call it a jazz move, but you know, cake, the cakewalk, which yeah. is, you know, predominantly an African-American uh, dance. Right. Um, and so they're all there. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's it continues to be a, a big part of him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I just realized the Harlem uh, lithographs, those are not personality-based. They're much yes. more movement and song. And when he returns again with, with Rhythm 30 years later, it's still not personalities. He's still kind of... Um, in that performance, the everyday performer or the dancer, much more interested in movement rather than personality. And, and you know, it's true. Even his early black and white lithographs right, are, are still not personalities. Yeah, except yeah. nine old men of the Supreme Court. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, where they are specific is, people. But, um, other uh, than that, no. Yeah. That's, we're going to do a show on printmaking mm, and Hirschfeld's printmaking idea. because it's really, it's a, it's a, that's a remarkable story all to its own. Right. Um, uh, we're gonna get back to jazz now. Yeah. But all right, next we've, composers. We've, we've we've touched base on on that though. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Hirschfeld uh, jazz composers to her. Uh, we call them jazz composers. Hirschfeld called them 
his friends. <laughs> uh, so George and Ira Gershwin, Harold Arlen, Yip Harburg. Um, these were people who were people that he knew quite well. Mm. <clears throat> Rogers and Hart, uh, he wasn't as friendly with them, but of course he knew them. They were all Broadway first-nighters, right. um, and they were a big part of the scene. Uh, I remember I did a book on Irving Berlin uh, called Irving Berlin's Show Business in, back in 2005, and as I was going through Irving Berlin's papers, I find this letter that Berlin wrote to his attorney mm. and oh. uh, talking about uh, copyright infringement, how different people were infringing on his copyright. Um, somebody had done a book called the There's No People Like Show People, which uh, Berlin contacted them and they decided to change the name so mm. it wouldn't infringe on his copyright. And then he writes, and who's this cartoonist Hirschfeld? I've written to him several times and he I've never heard a response. He's got a book called There's No Business Like Show Business. I mean, there's, there's show business is no business. Show business is no business. Yeah. And Berlin thought that was interfering with his copyright. But Hirschfeld completely ignored it, you know, and <laughs> and I'm sure that Hirschfeld's feeling was, you know, he read the letter. It was a vague threat by Irving Berlin <laughs> and he threw it in the waste paper basket and said, sue me. <laughs> right. You know, so do something. About and by it. ignoring it, Berlin went away because it was I mean, yeah. he wasn't infringing. on. Now, Berlin's which copyright. came first, the chicken or the egg? What? Who who was Irving Berlin's first? Oh, Irving Berlin's. Oh, okay. There's no business like show business. Uh, premiered in Annie Get Your Gun in 1946. Right. Okay. Which Hirschfeld did drawings to promote it before it came to Broadway. Mm. So uh, and the idea that, uh, that Irving this Berlin, cartoonist right, Hirschfeld didn't know who he was. Uh, Berlin could not have opened a paper for right. uh, the first 25 years of, or you know for between 1926 and 1943 and not seen a bunch of Hirschfeld drawings. Uh, so the idea that in 1951 he was complaining about it when Hirschfeld owned the top of the right. uh, best-known paper, arts and leisure section, he's the just, drama section. He's just being grumpy. Yeah, it was, exactly. <laughs> and and we know that as, uh, uh, Berlin was grumpy. But he did a wonderful portrait of Mary Lou Williams, who was a wonderful African-American composer and uh, pianist. Uh, he did this... I mean, now we would see it as, I think, probably, it, it was a little bit more caricatured than his others, um, but it, it, it's done in a very modern design style, um, and he did it for Seventeen Magazine. Right. But other people like, well, of course, Jerome Kern, um, Scott Joplin, Jelly Roll Morton. Oh, um, yeah. I know that's... Well, go ahead. You talk about. I don't know anything about jazz, so you should talk about it. All I know about Jelly Roll Morton is Jelly's Last Jam is your favorite Broadway musical. It is my favorite Broadway <laughs> musical. I saw it when it first opened on Broadway. I've been listening to the cast album ever since. You made cause... me watch it on YouTube once, or a clip of it. A clip of it, and uh, it, it's uh, it's uh, they take Jelly Roll Morton's music and they orchestrate it for Broadway and they write lyrics based on interviews that Alan Lomax did with Jelly Roll Morton in 1938 that was eventually published as a book, Mr. Jelly Roll, mm -hmm. a book that I love, that my brother loves. Uh, for years, my brother would find it in used bookstores and oh, give it yeah. to people he thought were, uh, you know, special in his life. Yeah. Uh, I think he did it until one day he found a copy of Mr. <laughs> Jelly Roll in a used bookstore, and he opened it up, and he found an inscription that he had made to a That's friend. That's so bad. <laughs> How tragic. <laughs> Never give that books like that to the used bookstore right. in the same town that you got them in. Right. Uh, Send them very far away. But, you know, 
<clears throat> Howard Dietz, who was not a jazz composer necessarily, but his songs were um, uh, played by a lot of uh, jazz performers. Um, you know, he gave Hirschfeld his first job. Right. He, Howard Dietz um, was at Goldwyn, correct? Yes. Yeah. He was the publicity director at And Goldwyn. he's the one that fished out the drawings out of the waste paper basket that Hirschfeld had done and decided yes. to run them. So, exactly. Just exactly. a refresher for everyone. <clears throat> and, you know, uh, it's Hirschfeld that is eating dinner one night with uh, George and Ira Gershwin at their home in Washington Heights. And they say, and, and as they're talking, uh, Hirschfeld says, George, there's a guy down in the village who really knows how to play your music. You should hear him sometime. And they decide <laughs> to go that night after dinner. And they go to, um, I, I don't know if it was Club Duvet or um, what was his later uh, um, uh, bar. I can't remember. Anyway, the piano player is Oscar Levant. Mm. And he introduces the two of them that night. Uh, so, uh, and, and of course, there's uh, uh, composers like Fats Waller, who he would draw for a BMG cover. Right. But before he did that, he did wonderful cast drawings of the reviews based on Fats Waller's um, uh, uh, songs called A Misbehaven. Right. You know. Well, why don't we stop it here? Because we still have to cover Broadway and film. Okay. So let's do, let's save that for tomorrow. What do you think about that? Okay. All right. So we'll do a jazz part two. Jazz It'll part two. Right, right after this one. Don't worry. We'll be back. So, uh, so you can find us on alhirschfeldfoundation.org. Yes. alhirschfeldfoundation.org slash podcast. S is for swing. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Well, you're not fast enough. <laughs> um, and then we're on Facebook, the Al Hirschfeld Foundation, Twitter and Instagram at Al Hirschfeld. And uh, uh, some of these stories and many more <clears throat> are at uh, are in a book that I wrote called The Hirschfeld Century, Portrait of an Artist and His Age, published by Knopf. And uh, you can get copies on Amazon or wherever they sell books. You can yep. get them from uh, the Al Hirschfeld Foundation shop. If you uh, get them from the shop, I will bring a copy to David's desk. He will sign it to you. And then we will mail it out. Yes. <laughs> That's how it goes here. That's how easy it is. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we will see you tomorrow for Jazz Part 2. So long. Bye.